Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. Okay, so if we go long today, it's Chris's fault. Um, because I'm not cutting my sermon short. So, all right. So uh, grab your Bible. If you got a Bible, Psalm 137. We're going to continue in our series on Psalms. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles on the rack back there. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one home. That's our gift to you. Uh, but Psalm 137 is where we'll be today. I've been enjoying this series on the Psalms. I hope you have too. Um, and, and today, the Psalm that we're going to be dealing with is, is really... Odd and interesting in a great sort of way. It's, it, we're going to read through it, and, and I, pr- I promise you're going to, if you've never read this psalm before, we're going to get to it, and, and at one point you're going to be like, I'm not sure that's supposed to be in the Bible. That's got to be a typo. And uh, it's just, it's very different, very, probably one of the most emotional, um, just gut-wrenching, emotional passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. And, uh, and so we're going to deal with that. Before we get into it, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, there's a website, uh, kind of a store type thing called despair.com. I don't know if you're familiar with despair.com, but, uh, and of course I would be uh, a fan of that. And, uh, but anyway, that you, you've, you've, you've been in offices before where a lot of times in their boardrooms or whatever, they'll have motivational posters around and stuff like that. Despair.com creates demotivational posters. And I, I love them so much. Here's a, here's a couple of them. The first one I got is this one, motivation. It says, if a pretty poster and a cute saying are all it takes to motivate you, you probably have a very easy job. The kind robots will be doing soon. And, uh, and so then uh, the next one, next one is, uh, pro- this is, this is like my life verse, procrastination. Hard work often pays off after time, but laziness always pays off now. And that is great. That's great. I'm getting that tattooed across my forehead or something. And then, um, then, and then finally the last one, mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. Um, and so... So that's what we're going to talk about today is mistakes, mistakes. We, here's the thing about mistakes. We've all made them. We all have things. In fact, if I was telling you, close your eyes and just immediately think of the biggest mistake, the thing you regret most that you have doing in your entire life, something will automatically pop into your head, uh, something automatic. And usually you'll get a flush of uh, embarrassment or shame or, or guilt or whatever. We've all made mistakes and most of us have made some doozies. And so uh, that's, that's kind of just part of the human condition. I wish we could get through life uh, without scars, uh, without having had, uh, made mistakes that hurt ourselves or our future or other people around us. Uh, but the truth is, none of us can. None of us can. At some point, we all do something that we wish we could take back. We wish we could take it back. And when we talk about <coughs> this idea of sinning and the consequences of our mistakes and things like that. Um, well, let me, you know, when we talk about uh, theologically speaking, like we all know we've been taught that uh, we can't earn our place before God, that our acceptance before a holy, righteous God was paid for uh, by the only perfect man who walked the earth, Jesus Christ. Uh, it was a price too high for us to pay. We could not do it because we're not perfect. And it is a free gift from him. And that our standing uh, before God is not performance-based. It's not, get that in your head right now, it is not performance 
based. You cannot perform good enough for God. You just can't. But Jesus did. And he's, he's all you need. He's all you need. Now, we know all that theologically, but practically speaking, what tends to happen with most of us is that we live in this kind of in-between spot where, like, we know the theology, but we wrestle with the guilt of our mistakes, and we wrestle with the shame of our mistakes, and we tend to, even though we, in our head, theologically, we might believe that grace is free, there are some of us that spend our days still trying to pay for it. Still trying to pay for it. There's, you know, because can we just be honest? This Bible, it's a beautiful book, um, but it's got a lot of rules in it. It's got, it's got a lot of rules in it. It's got, in fact, it's got kind of an insane amount of rules in it. Um, and and when we kind of dig in there, it's hard to separate this in our minds anyway. At least it is for me. It's hard to separate this idea of free grace. Uh, with this giant list of rules. Um, and what we want to drive home today is that, yes, these rules are there, but, but the rule is not to give us some sort of per- performance-based measure so we can stand before God. The rule, <coughs> pardon me, the rule is there because God created us he is master of all. He is sovereign over all. He knows the ins and outs, not only of our biology, but our psychology, of our emotions, of our spirit. He knows, he knows every detail of who we are. And he knows best and has laid out a plan for how best to go through our lives unscathed. And when we follow his plan for our lives, what happens is that as broken and as jacked up as most of us are, we slowly but surely become a little bit more like him. And as we do that, it's not so much that we're earning our place before him as it is just that we love him. And when you really kind of come to grips with how much he has loved us, you can't help but respond to that love in kind. You can't help but respond to that love with, and I would walk the ends of the earth for that kind of love. I would, you know, whatever you ask of me, God, I, I want to be able to do that because I see and I'm aware of how much you have loved me and what you've given for me and sacrificed for me. I, how can I not want to follow you and serve you? <clears throat> there are consequences to sin, consequences. I wish I could say that once you came to faith in Jesus Christ, that you didn't have to ever have to suffer any consequences of your sin ever again. But that's just not true. Sometimes we make boneheaded decisions that result in pain in our lives or in the lives of people near us. <clears throat> I, I, I plan my sermons about, I don't know, two or three months in advance, kind of have a rough idea of where I'm going in series and sermons and things like that. And as I had planned this one, uh, my notation that I had, had made for this passage was that this was going to be a sermon about righteous anger, because we're, we're going to read about some anger here in a second. Um, but as I began to kind of dig in deeper to this passage and, and, and kind of flesh it out, what I found was this wasn't going to be a sermon about anger at all. It's really a sermon about consequences. Um, and, and so let me, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of unpack what's going on here, um, but let's dig into the passage first. Psalm 137, we'll start with verse 1. <clears throat> 
It says, by the waters of Babylon, <clears throat> there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Let's stop there for just a second. Let me kind of set up what's going on here. Um, if you've ever read through the Old Testament or been, had, had, you know, had it taught to you or whatever, there's a cycle that takes place constantly all through the Old Testament. And the cycle looks like this, that God's chosen people, the Israelites at that point in time in the Old Testament, his chosen people, there would be a kind of a closeness to God, a revival in the land, uh, and they would draw near, worship would be renewed, and there would be a spiritual revival happening uh, in, in the country. And then slowly but surely, the people would begin to wander away from God. And they would wander, and then they would begin to allow false gods to creep into their country, the worship of false gods. Eventually, sometimes the worship of other false gods would take place in God's holy temple where his presence was supposed to reside, that sort of thing. And uh, all kinds of just immoral, horrible behavior would, 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 would take place. And as this was happening, God would send prophets, messengers of his, to go to the people to say, I see your sin. And this is not the behavior of a people who should be called by my name. And if you do not repent, if you do not turn away from your sin and turn back to me, if you don't leave behind the false gods and turn back to me, the one and only true God, there will be consequences. I will let you wander down this path and you will see what the natural consequences of these actions are. And, 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 and so... They would wander and they would wander and they would wander and God would warn and he would warn and he would, he would say, I'll forgive you if you'll just come back. We'll make everything new. And they would continue to wander and then the consequences would hit. And it could be anything from uh, their, their country could come under siege. War would take place. Famine would take place. Um, they would be taken into slavery. All kinds of different things that, that would happen that would just decimate them and, 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 uh, and crush them. And then ultimately in their despair, they would reach back out to God and say, God, we see what we've done now when we repent and, and you are the one, you're right, you're the one in which you're God and we want you to be our God and we'll be your people and revival would take place and spiritual closeness to God would take place and then the whole cycle would just start over again. And for hundreds of years, this cycle just went over and over and over and over. And where we pick up this psalm is in a period where they had been wandering far from God, worshiping other gods, wicked, wicked rulers and kings and everything else that were, instead of good, godly, God-fearing people uh, leading the country. And God had said, this is what's going to happen through his prophet uh, Isaiah. He had said, if you do not turn back to me, and he laid it out actually so clearly, and it all came true. If you do not come back to me, I will raise up Babylon and Babylon will come against you and will take you all captive and will utterly destroy this nation. But if you will call my name and repent and come back to me, I will hear your cries and I will forgive and I will make all things right again. And they kept wandering and they kept wandering until, well, they were taken captive. Now, the way Babylon, histor uh, biblical historians will tell us, the way Babylon would attack a nation is it would, it would, they wouldn't, you know, kind of come up and launch missiles into their cities or anything like that. Uh, cities back in this day were walled in for security, big, thick walls around the city and that sort of thing. The bigger the walls, the more secure the city. And so what they would do is they would completely surround the city 
and then just stay there. Just surround the city and not let anybody out and not let anything come in and just camp out around the city and wait. And as they would wait and wait and wait and the food began to dry up and the water and the wine and everything else began to dry up on the inside and the people became desperate and we hear stories in the word of they, there were times when they were under attack that they would become so desperate that they began to eat their own dead that it was just absolute desperation that would set in until eventually they would surrender and then the Babylonians would take the city, tear everything down and brutalize people just to put the fear of them in them. Brutal. And we we're, we're hear stories where they would come in uh, with, uh, uh, forgive the graphic nature, but come in with large hooks and just disembowel pregnant women. They would take children and just brutalize them and beat them and kill them. Children. Children. They were a brutal, brutal people. And then once they had the people on their knees, they would scoop them up and carry them back to Babylon where they would try to integrate them into their own society and, and hopefully that old nation would just be no more. And here, this psalm now serves as a remembrance of how they had been carried off into captivity. And it says, by the waters of Babylon there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion was another name for Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Zion were always symbolic to the people of the presence of God. This is where the holy temple was. This is where they would all come for Passover and to worship and to make sacrifice. And that is where the Holy of Holies was. It's where God's presence uh, resided. And so when they would think of Jerusalem, when they would think of Zion, that is what they would think of, God's presence. They were remembering. They were remembering God. They were remembering the missed opportunities they had to worship the one and only true God and how they squandered all of that and how now the presence of God had been stripped away from them. And on the willows there, we hung up our lyres. A lyre was kind of a poor man's harp. In today's world, it would literally be like a guitar. We, we, we threw our guitars, we threw our harps up into the, up into the trees. We, we could not play them. For there are captors required of us songs, our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. There, the Babylonian captors would surround them and, and, and basically just make fun of them. Hey, sing us one of those old hymns. Those old hymns you guys sing, those things are great. Sing us one of those songs. Entertain us a little bit. But we can't do that. Can't do that. We're, we're not with God anymore. How, how can we do that? Here they are, just in utter despair, experiencing the consequences of their sin. The point I want to draw out in, in this first few verses is this, that God will deal with you, he'll always deal with you privately at first, but publicly if you don't respond. This is a truth I've seen happen. You've seen it happen in the lives of people over and over and over. <clears throat> he will always deal with us privately at first when it comes to our sin and then publicly if we don't respond. <clears throat> but there's the small, you know, when we find ourselves wandering from God, when we find ourselves making questionable choices, there's a still small voice that will kind of start ringing around in our ear, bouncing around in our head, calling us back to closeness with God, calling us back to right choices, calling us back to uh, a way that is, that is following him instead of running away from him. And if we don't listen to that voice, if we continue to push it outside of our head, if we continue to give ourselves excuses and try to convince ourselves that these choices, they're not that big a deal, it's not that big of a thing, uh, it doesn't really matter in the, in the long run, 
uh, you know, whatever it is we tell ourselves to justify our poor choices, then eventually God loves us so much that if we don't listen to him when he speaks to us privately, he will bring the thing to light. And then what was once a whisper becomes a shout. What once was a small thing becomes very obviously a large thing looming in our life. I've always been, um, for whatever reason, I don't know if everybody's experience is this way or if it's just, I don't know, I don't know. But for whatever reason, I've always felt like um, God has never allowed me to wander too far off. I've tried, trust me. I've tried. But he's never allowed me to wander too far that the Holy Spirit's voice in my mind is at times deafening for me to come back to him when I start to wander away from him. There's a, a story. Uh, uh, when Isaiah was uh, five, he was baptized for the first time. I say the first time because he decided he needed it again a few years, like, few years later, um, and we did it again. But uh, when he was five, we were at a church in the Bay Area, and I was on staff there, and he was going to be baptized. And so we were up at church on a Saturday night, getting everything prepared for the service the next day and filling up the baptistry with water, that sort of thing. And, and uh, we had all kind of, all the staff members had gone to their own offices and, and uh, were... Uh, you know, getting things ready. And all of a sudden, we all hear a huge splash. And Isaiah had decided to do a cannonball in the baptistry. <laughs> and so, I, and so I, I, I immediately kind of knew what would happen. Not what would happen. I, w- I went over to where I could get him, and I kind of yanked him out of the tub and swatted him on the butt and told him to sit on the steps and soak in his baptism water. And, uh, and so I went, back to my, <laughs> I went back to my office, and he was all upset. And Another guy on staff there, a guy by the name of Danny, was talking to him, and, and Danny says, uh, says basically what I just shared with you. He said, you know, he said, Isaiah, that, would ha- that always happened to me when I was a kid, too. Whenever I was doing something I wasn't supposed to do, I always got caught, and it's because, it's because God loves me. He wants me to make right choices, so he would make sure I got caught to help keep me on the right path. And Isaiah, a great lesson, you know, and Isaiah s- sat there kind of taking it in, and he says... Uh, Danny, I don't think that's true because I steal candy all the time and nobody ever finds out. That's <laughs> five years old. So it didn't sink in immediately, but eventually sunk in with him and, and, and that's a good thing. But, um, but this, this is the truth is that, that God loves us so much that he won't allow us to wander too far. Now you can, you can ignore. You can ignore. He will send the, his Holy Spirit's voice into your heart and into your mind to bring you back. He will send little signs along the way that things aren't quite right and things are going uh, a little off and that you need to make a course correction. He will, but eventually, if you continue to ignore and ignore and ignore. Some of you have experienced this in all kinds of, in all kinds of areas of your life. I've talked to so many of you that, let's, let's just use this as an example, that in your marriages, that relationship that you should have been pouring into and making a priority in your life instead got the back seat of your priorities. And <sighs> until one day, something that you thought was stable suddenly wasn't. And you're left scratching your head going, what did I do wrong? Or where did I, you know, whatever. And now you're playing catch up. Now you're trying to salvage something that if you would have just made a priority in your life in the first place, wouldn't have needed salvaging. 
Same is true of us spiritually that when we, when we wander and when we wander and when we wander, and we ignore God, eventually we find ourselves in a place where we're experiencing the consequences of our actions, and it's painful. It's painful. Look at this next uh, verse, verse 4. <clears throat> How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. I want to focus on that first phrase, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? This is what you need to know, that when we are left to experience the consequences of our choices, um, and, and it feels like we're being punished in our life, when it feels like, you know, We're experiencing some negative things in our life because of poor choices that we made. You need to know that is not the place that God wants you to be. That is a foreign land for you. It is a foreign land. And you will find it difficult to worship. You will find it difficult to draw near to God. You will find yourself feeling like you were held captive by your circumstances because all of this stuff has come crashing down on you. And now you have to deal with the fallout of your choices. This is what I want to, want to drive home here. We do not let the devil ride because he's going to want to drive. Don't let the devil ride because he's going to want to drive. When we allow uh, our enemy to kind of get into our life in what may seem like very small, very even, uh, we'll convince ourselves, innocent ways. What happens is that for him just to kind of have a little bit of access is never good enough. He eventually wants control. He eventually wants control. And what started off as an innocent, uh, simple, uh, shouldn't have been any big deal decision can oftentimes bloom and blossom into something that um, gets quickly, very quickly out of control. The Bible talks about that we shouldn't allow Satan a foothold in our life. I've, I've talked to you about this before. It's a rock climbing t- term. The, the smallest imperfection in the rock can be a foothold to lift yourself up higher on that rock. And when we give Satan access in our lives, he ultimately, he eventually gets control if we are not careful, if we're not careful. Keep reading. Verse 7. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites. This is where it gets weird. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. And that's the end of the psalm. There's no, I'm just playing. Nope. Blessed is the one who takes your babies and dashes them against the rock. Okay. So here's where we scratch our head and go, how is that supposed to be in the Bible? I want you to picture for just a second a people who had been taken into captivity, who had seen their land and their cities and their temple and everything utterly destroyed, had seen their women ravaged, had seen their children beaten brutally and killed. And now out of that sense of anguish and that sense of anger, they're going, you know what? Blessed will be the one who takes your little ones the way you took our little ones and dashes them against the rock. Is there anything holy about that? I'm not sure, but I understand it. I understand it. In the same way, if somebody was to come in and ravage my family, 
and I would wish the same thing upon them, I can understand it. If there's any hope at all in this weird passage of the Bible, it's this. That he doesn't say, um, I'm going to kill you all. I'm going to eat your children. Like He's not pulling a Mike Tyson. Um, instead, he's saying, you know, somebody is going to do this to you. Somebody eventually is going to do this to you. And there's this sense of, God, I'm going to trust you to avenge me. I'm going to trust this to you. Bible says uh, that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. There have been times in my life when I have wanted to take matters into my own hand and kind of get my own retribution or my own vengeance in a situation where I've wanted to kind of step out and act out of anger and pride and frustration and everything else. And again, take matters into my hands and deal with it the way I seem best. But when I've had the wisdom to step back and just trust those situations to God. And in that pain, lay it at his feet and say, and God, you know, I love you. And you know um, that I am your child. I need you to come to my defense. I need you to deal with this situation. I need you to make this situation. I need justice in this situation. God has a tendency to step in in ways that I could have never even dreamed of harsher than I could have ever. I I got stories I could tell you that I'm not going to tell you. But I'll just say, God has taken care of my enemies over the years. He's taken care of my enemies over the years. In the same way, you know, what's so beautiful about God in this is that he allows the children of Israel to, to, to make these choices, to wander from him, to experience these painful consequences of those choices But even in that, even in that discipline that's happening, he's still dad. He's still dad. My kids might uh, do something that would frustrate me that I would kind of say, okay, go ahead and see what happens. But at the end of the day, I'm still dad. I'm still going to come to their rescue. I'm still going to be there for them however they need me to be, be there for them if they call out to me as dad. And our heavenly father is the same way. And I want to tell you that if you've got a situation in your life where you are tempted to take matters into your hands and deal out your own sense of justice, I want to encourage you to take a step back from that and release it. First of all, it's just eating you alive. You don't need that bitterness weighing you down. Release it to God and let him do it. Because he's got resources you don't even dream of having. He's got resources you don't even dream of having. The last point I want to make is this, that like the old hymn says, there really is victory in Jesus. There's victory in him. That even in our mistakes, even in our sins and our wandering away from God, God can take our worst. This is, I love this about God so much because I would not be God this way. I just wouldn't. If I was God, I would be so spiteful. I would make a horrible God. I would just, I would just squash everybody that ticked me off. I really would. But God takes my worst sins. I mean, I can think back to, again, those worst things, those things I'm most ashamed of, the things I wish I could take back, I could get a mulligan on. If, if God takes that, the worst crap of my life, and he has a way of spinning it and to turning it into a victory for me. I don't get, I don't, I don't, I gotta be honest with you. I don't understand that kind of love. I don't, I don't understand that kind of love. 
because I've been nothing but a jerk to God. And yet he loves me so much, he'll take my biggest screw-ups if I'll just just submit to him, if I'll turn back to him. He can take my biggest screw-ups and somehow turn them into victory. I can't tell you how many times throughout my life now, especially as a a spiritual leader in a church, how um, I get to share my mistakes with you all and somehow use that as an encouragement to you. Um, and it, and it somehow makes me a better pastor in a really odd way. I, I, I don't get that, but somehow again, what's the Bible say? God works all things together for our good. God works all things together. He, for those that love him, for those who glorify him, God can take the worst parts of our life and spin it and work it together for our own good. God is so beautiful that way. Now, this is this passage is just weird and brutal and odd. But I get it. I get it. I get that there are times that the junk that happens to my life is of my own doing. I understand that. I also get that there are times that my anger is kindled in such a way that I want to take matters into my own hands. I understand that. And I want to better understand the value of turning over all of this, my sin and my need for control and just giving all of that to God and allowing him to make beauty out of the mess that I've created. I want to challenge you to kind of join me in that very awkward, very um, difficult at times journey of putting ourselves aside and saying, uh, I, you know, I, this, you know, this, I've prayed this prayer before, by the way. God, you know what I want. You know what I want in this situation. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Just begin to pray that and begin to submit to him, begin to turn all that junk over to him and see if he doesn't. Take the worst aspects of your life, even the ones that are self-induced, and spin it into a victory for you somehow. It's beautiful that way. It's beautiful. Would you bow your heads for a second? Would you you just, uh, right now, uh, I want to ask you to ask yourself, is is there an issue in my life that God has been whispering to me about trying to draw me back into him. And I have been ignoring his voice, trying to convince myself that it's no big deal, wandering further away, even when I know it's not wise. Is there an issue that God has been speaking to you about that you just need to give to him before that whisper becomes a shout? Think about it for just a second. Father, we love you. Um, I usually say your word is good to us, but today your word is weird to us. And um, but I'm thankful. It's weird in a good way. Thank you for loving us enough to allow us to experience the consequences of our sin. 
you could control us like puppets and force us to do your will. But you allow us to choose you. You allow us to choose obedience or disobedience. And you always provide a way back to you. Even when we rebel against you, you always provide a way back to you. Thank you for that. God, whether it's sin that we're struggling with or control over conflict or whatever that we're struggling with, God, would you help us to um, just submit to you in that? Would you help us to listen to your voice and stay close to it? Stay close to your word. We know that you have paid the price for our sin. We know that. We know that we don't have to be perfect for you to be um, pleasing to you. But God, we love you and we want to be near to you. So do the hard work in our life that, that allows us to stay close to you. God, remove the rough places that need to be removed. Shape us into people who resemble you. God, help us to respond uh, even to the hardest circumstances in our life with submission to you in a way that brings you glory. Help us through our sin issues and through our control issues. Just help us to be more submitted to you. We love you. And uh, we praise your name this morning. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name.